0: Listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast, episode 57. And I'm the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. Right off the bat, first of all, this is coming out on a Sunday, Sunday, August 2nd, instead of Saturday, August 1st. I apologize for not getting the podcast out yesterday. Several things came up, and I just decided, nope. I needed to take the afternoon and relax and be with my family. Specifically, uh, my wife's father uh, died in the middle of the night on Friday after many years of suffering from cancer. And there's a very complicated backstory behind that relationship that I will definitely address at some point in the future. And then also, for those of you who don't know, July 30th of this past week was World Day Against Human Trafficking in Persons. It's a worldwide event, specifically in the United States. Tens of thousands of people gathered and marched and rallied and spoke in different cities around the country. And like I said, around the world. If you're not familiar with World Day Against Human Trafficking in Persons, please go check out websites like Operation Underground Railroad, O-U-R, and Tim Ballard. You can find them on social media. You can go check out the documentary Operation Toussaint, which is available for free to watch on Amazon Prime Streaming. There's many, many other organizations that fight human trafficking and child sex uh, exploitation. So please, if you're interested or you weren't aware because the mainstream media didn't cover the day at all, most politicians said nothing about it on their social media or publicly. Celebrities and professional athletes said almost nothing about the day. And the churches and church leaders were also remarkably silent on July 30th as regards this crisis, this epidemic, that there are tens of millions of people enslaved around the world today, that modern slavery held, holds in captivity more human beings today than at any other time in history. It is a myth that in the United States, slavery ended... With the Emancipation Proclamation. It didn't eliminate slavery. Human slavers and human traffickers just adapted. And so there are more slaves today than there are at any time in human history. 40 million people are currently enslaved because of human trafficking. Every year, five to six million children are trafficked and sold for sex, for labor, for their organs. Children of both gender children of every ethnicity. They're targeted online by sexual predators. It's the most profitable enterprise on earth today. Depending on which statistics you read, at least according to Tim Ballard at Operation Underground Railroad, it's a $50 trillion enterprise. Human slavery, human trafficking, child sex trafficking. In the United States... It's a 38 billion dollar criminal enterprise. The United States is the number 1 producer of child pornography and the number 1 consumer of child pornography. We are the epicenter for human trafficking and child trafficking in the world. And yet, millions of children are being tortured and murdered every day in this country, sold as if they're property every day, like I said for sex, for labor, for their organs, and yet not covered by the media, not addressed by politicians, not something you're going to see on social media unless you are hip to it or you have friends or family that are involved with the fight against human trafficking. So if you're not and you want more information, like I said, go check out Operation Underground Railroad. My phone goes off right in the middle of the podcast. Sorry about that. And the other organizations that are available, you can find out about through Operation Underground Railroad through Tim Ballard and his organization. Otherwise, please subscribe to the podcast. If you would like to support what I do here financially, you can hit the support button on Anchor FM at the Warrior Priest main page. Otherwise, just share the podcast with friends and family, share it on social media, promote it. It's been amazing over the last two months to actually see the number of downloads increase and the number of people who have discovered the podcast through spotterup.com and through other people like Kevin Ross sharing the podcast on their social media page and promoting it. That's amazing. I can't believe that people are so generous and so kind. So thank you for that. And as we continue to build up the podcast, it looks like I'm actually going to hit 200 downloads per episode by the end of August, like I wanted to. So thank you for that. And thank you for all the feedback that you um, give me on social media in particular and what you think about the podcast, how you discovered the podcast, topics that you'd like me to address on the podcast or go back to even. And otherwise, let's dive into it. Today, I wanted to cover another guy who, if you're familiar with Kevin Ross, you might know this man's name. He and Kevin Ross developed what's essentially called OS but it's spelled O-S-U. So if you look it up, don't look up O-S-S, look up O-S-U. But Kevin Ross and Johnny Riley, Johnny Bang Riley, they essentially started O.S. They have a book called O.S. And the website, they did a series of short videos and series. Johnny himself has made films. You can find those at johnnybangreilly.com, at osu.com through Kevin Ross's social media pages, but to describe Johnny Riley, I discovered him about four or five years ago. I don't really know how to sum Johnny up really briefly because he is a man of many, many talents. But I found this quote from Fightland and I thought it was a good quote. So I'll, I'll give you this one. Johnny Bang Riley is 50, a 50-year-old transient poet living in the UK. He's also a filmmaker focused on the deeper themes of mixed martial arts. Like addiction and self-identity. He's a poet. He's a dancer. He's a filmmaker. He's a writer. He's a mixed martial artist. He's a recovering addict. He's all of these things. He's an amazing man. And he, at least for myself, I love when he speaks. I love when he writes and I love what he has to say. So today I wanted to go and cover him since I covered Kevin Ross last week. And this is actually a blog that Johnny wrote and I'll include the, the full text plus the link in the show notes. It's called Today My Gratitude Has Pushed Through My Fears. He wrote this January 22nd of 2020, so this year. Let's just get into it. Today my gratitude has pushed through my fears. Today my gratitude has pushed through my fears. As a severely abused child, fear of cruelty And threat to life is expected when life gets a little peaceful. My abusers were narcissists. And these deformed people are never at peace. And hate to see another in this elusive state they never seem to be able to attain. The jealousy drives them to disturb those immersed in the gratitude state. Those emotionally crippled by thought. Insignificance scream at the constant insulting consciousness that taunts them. They are in perpetual agitation and grind their teeth psychologically with rage at their incarceration with no release date in sight. My first abuser would attack me and beat me out of my enjoyment of enjoying my presence of being gifted to be alive and in balance with my balanced and well-put-together anatomy grooming my mind. Always, when the bruises calmed down, their fire and lumps would shrink and lose their presence to my touch. Would I hear her breath quicken with words of compliant? For some small thing I overlooked, to keep tidy? The next thing I knew, is the room would change its angles. I would see lights, and things would smudge, as if what was a painting is now vandalized. My eyes stopped working, and then there was a familiar smell of my own blood. This bomb site I called my life, and it always happened when I was quiet. Fear was my soundtrack that did not let the better-tuned emotions become my music. This emotion that made my muscles twitch, my jaw flex, my fists clench, always kidnapped me when things were quiet. As soon as I acknowledged peace, anticipation of what usually happened next snapped me back into the paranoia that something painful was going to happen. Sometimes I would make it happen, so I would not be surprised. But since the age of eight, I have strived to enjoy a little peace. And today at 55, my work is paying off. Gratitude pushes through all my body's muscle memories. And I feel all of me relax and give thanks. I give thanks for my muffling of angst. Johnny Bang Riley, January 22nd, 2020. One of the most difficult aspects of my wife's father's death is not the death itself, the physical death, not the worry about spiritual death. It's not necessarily that now she has some sort of closure, that the conflict that persisted between them has now been silenced. It's not, on the other hand, that she has no closure. That that door that she opened up, that let the darkness out, let the demons out of their cage, unleashed those memories and emotions of abuse when she was a child. It's not as if now that he's dead and refuses to acknowledge his complicity in the abuse because he can't form a sentence anymore, that that now is left open and can never be locked tight again. It's not even that. The truly painful part of his death is the angst. It's the angst, the anxiety, the frustration that those emotions which she thought she had taken care of, locked away safely in their boxes we're always there so that she could say, I don't have any emotional attachment to my abusers. She can say that because he's alive somewhere. He exists in the world. He breathes, he moves, he's embodied, he's incarnate. But now he's dead. And that angst, that was in its box, crawled out, the frustration, a little bit of rage, they all pushed their way up out of their boxes where she had kept them on a shelf in her mind somewhere. And that's really the difference between my wife and myself. In fact, it's one of the most stark differences between my wife and myself. That is when I say, I have no emotional attachment to someone or something. I mean that in actual fact. When I say of my own mother that I have no emotional attachment to her anymore, that she wants me to be the person I was when I was 19 years old, even though I have assured her and explained at length to her that I murdered that person, he no longer exists. He can't be recovered. He's dead. He's buried. And I put him there. She doesn't understand that because she doesn't want to. She wants me to be someone else for her that I can't be anymore. Not just someone who's a stranger to me, not someone who is alien to me, but someone who I killed. He's dead. And now there's just who I am today. And because she can't accept that, she can never understand me and therefore never know me. But then that doesn't keep me up at night. It doesn't bother me because I don't have an emotional attachment to her. And I haven't for at least 15 years, 20 years. But when my wife says that she has no emotional attachment to her father, what she means is I took those emotions and through hard work and discipline, through counseling through working at it daily and speaking with others who could lead me through recovery from the abuse so that I no longer see myself as a victim of abuse or even a survivor of abuse. I just am who I am. And I will reflect on the abuse. I will confront the abuse. I'm not afraid to face that darkness. But I do it so that I can, in the present tense, Use that as fuel to make myself stronger, not a victim, not helpless. When she says that she has no emotional attachment to her father, what she really means is I put that in a box and then I put it on a shelf at the back of the closet and I've dealt with it, which is why after the fact, when I say it and something comes up, it doesn't affect me the same way it affects her, especially death. So her father died after years of cancer and she died with closure because she spoke to him two weeks prior to that and she got as much of an admission of guilt as she could from him, as much as an admission of guilt about her uncle as she could get from her parents. And she accepted that's as much as I'm going to get. That's as honest as they're ever going to be with me. And her mother's final words were, well, it's all just tragic, but we have to move on which to my wife is all she really needed to hear to know where she stood in relation to her parents and the abuse that she suffered as a child. But yet her dad dies. And then this emotion comes to the surface. And the expectations of her family, the expectation of those that she is going to revert to the person that she was when she was 21 or 12, when she herself can't be that person because just as I did, she killed the person that she used to be, the victim, the abuse survivor, the wallflower, the one who was always silent, the one who was always compliant, the one who, who was groomed and raised to grow up to be an obedient, well-behaved wife she can't be that person because she killed that person. And we together as a couple helped each other, encouraged each other to do that to each other, that we had to grow and we had to break the cycle of addiction and the cycle of abuse that has persisted for at least three generations in both sides of our families so that our children might have an option. They might have a future free of abuse and addiction. And the way that we broke through was gratitude, was recognizing that our past does not need to define us. It's not our identity in the present tense. It doesn't have to determine the way forward for us. It's not a roadmap. Through trial and error and failure, through reading and counseling and conversation and attending lectures, and constantly learning, never being satisfied with good enough, but always pushing ourselves as individuals and pushing each other. We received gratitude. We learned how to live in gratitude with each other and as individuals, and we've passed that on to our children. What does it mean to live with gratitude? To push through our body's muscle memories of the abuse, physical or sexual And to feel ourselves, all of ourselves, relax and give thanks in a very weird, dark way. When you turn and face the darkness and you confront the evil that was done to you, you actually relax, at least for myself and my wife. And we gave thanks. We even gave thanks for our abusers. Because without that abuse, without that trauma... We would never have found each other. It's not an accident that my wife and I met or were attracted to each other. It's not an accident that we got married. But God used that trauma to bring us together. And then because we are who we are as personalities, it exploded within the marriage. And I went to AA and she went to Al-Anon. Then I went to counseling and she went to counseling. And from there, it was just a constant movement toward confronting the abuse that we've each suffered as children, confronting the people that abused us, confronting the realities of that abuse and how it had affected us, confronting how we chose to see ourselves and identify ourselves as a consequence of all that abuse. But this brings me to my point then. This is the most difficult aspect of my wife's father's death for her because she does feel something for what was she's nostalgic for a time that never was for a person that she still in a way hopes he could have been wishes he would have been Same with her mother, but wasn't. And the angst is around the fact that it wasn't personal, that she was sexually abused, but it wasn't personal. I was physically abused, but it wasn't personal. As Johnny points out, My abusers were narcissists and these deformed people are never at peace and they hate to see another in this elusive state they never seem to be able to attain. The jealousy drives them to disturb those immersed in the gratitude state. Those emotionally crippled by thought, insignificance scream at the constant insulting consciousness that taunts them they are in perpetual agitation and grind their teeth psychologically with rage at their incarceration with no release date in sight my father was abused by his father his father was a drunk my father was a drunk different reasons for how they came to that but they were the same i was abused then i became a drunk <laughs> different different way of getting there same results My wife was sexually abused by her father and uncle. My wife's mother was sexually abused by her father. These are not things that just occur in a vacuum accidentally someday, one day. These are cycles of violence and evil that builds up a kind of momentum over time, generation after generation. That's why it's so difficult, in my opinion, to stop the cycle of abuse and violence and addiction. Because at a certain point, after two or three generations, it's got its own momentum. And it's like trying to stop a semi speeding downhill with no brakes. If you stop the semi at the top of the incline, you might have a good chance. But if you're halfway down or near the bottom when it's coming at you, you're going to get run over. And yet, at least for myself and my wife, that's what it was like at 25, 26, 28 years old. To say, okay, we're going to do this, right? No matter what happens, we're going to do this. No matter what it does to us, we're going to do this. And we did it. And we got run over a lot we got hurt a lot. And we got broken a lot by each other, by ourselves, by others. It hurt. It was painful. It was a struggle. It was a challenge. And there were days when we as individuals and, and we as a couple did not want to keep going. But we did. Sometimes I think it was out of pure, stubborn ignorance. But we did. Because where we were going, no matter how it turned out in our opinion was still better than where we started from. And so anyways, that angst, I experienced it 15, 20 years ago. It really hit me. Whereas my wife's been experiencing it now in the last 48 hours because of her dad's death. It's the realization that it wasn't about you. Instead, it was about the person who abused you or people that abused you. And in a way, at least for myself, and my wife agrees with this, that's the real pain. That's the real existential pain when you realize that your parent or your uncle or uncles or grandpa or whoever it might be abused you, not because of you as an individual, not because of what you represented to them. They hurt you and abused you and molested you and raped you in some cases because they were crippled emotionally. They were screaming all of the time in their own minds, and no one could hear them. And they were taunted every day by their own conscience. So therefore, they were in a perpetual state of agitation. And when they saw us as children, what did they see? They saw someone who was truly grateful to be alive, who was excited to be alive, who stared in wonder and awe at the world and saw the place, the whole place as just magical. And that, that, the formation of that child's mind, the formation of that child's emotions, to watch that child grow and thrive for those narcissistic people who are so deformed by the abuse that they suffered by the abuse they suffered at the hands of their own parents or grandparents, at the hands of the world, that they were deformed by their fears and their anxieties. They were twisted up and perverted by their own silent screams and the taunting of their own consciousness. Their own agitation and the grinding of their teeth psychologically turned them into monsters. And those monsters when they saw that, when they saw that child, and they saw that gratitude coming out of that child, emanating from that child, and that wonder, and that excitement, and that curiosity, and that creativity, they sought to destroy that because it was a mirror held up to their face that said, you are a monster. And so they attacked us, and they beat us because of our very presence. But if it had not been me, it would have been my little brother. If it had not been my wife, it would have been her little sister, if the roles were reversed. And to me, like I said, that for me was really painful, really painful to accept that revelation. And it's been very difficult for my wife as well. Because to think that the people who came home from the hospital with you, changed your diaper... Bathed you, fed you, clothed you, that those people didn't see you as a gift of God, as something that's so amazing, and miraculous, something that they're not even entitled to, that it's such a remarkable gift that they stand in awe at what is in their hands. Instead, what they see is something that needs to be attacked and beaten for being alive. And so the bruises and the busted lips and the unkind, cruel words and the unwelcomed touches, the reason that they do it to the kids and the reason that they do it to their spouses and their partners their family members, even to themselves is because they have been twisted and deformed by their own cruelty and the cruelty that's done to them. And so what ends up happening, especially when you're a child, but even as adults, I've seen this happen. It happened to my dad in Vietnam. It's happened to friends of mine who are vets from Iraq and Afghanistan and other places constant fear and the trauma that that constant fear induces, the trauma that cruelty induces. It threatens to constantly crush your heart like a submarine that goes too deep down into the ocean and is crushed by the water pressure around it. The cruelty that we experience as children, the cruelty that we witness in the world, the cruel things that are done to us by those who have been deformed those who attack us and attempt to beat us and molest and rape us, they do it not because of who we are, but because of what's wrong with them. And so, for myself, for my wife, we had to walk away from the source of where that cruelty was coming from. We had to separate ourselves from those narcissistic deformed people who would never leave us at peace and hated to see each of us individually and as a couple and as a family, they hated to see us living in a state of gratitude, moving forward, changing, experiencing joy in the midst of struggles and afflictions. Last year I was at a conference and someone I know, an acquaintance of mine came up to me and asked how I was doing. I said, good. And his first response was to laugh in my face and say, bullshit, be honest. That exchange told me everything that I needed to know about what was in this man's heart. Because when I say good, I mean it. And any of those of you who don't understand what that means, go watch the Jocko Good on YouTube. When I say I'm good, I mean it. Good when I'm broken, good when I'm injured, good when I'm down good when I'm up, good when I don't have anything to complain about, good when things are out of my control. Always in my life, things are good. That doesn't mean I don't disagree with people and it doesn't frustrate me when people do things that I don't have any control over. I can't influence their decisions and they, uh, they act opposite or contradictor, contradictorily. Is that even a word? Contradictorily? I think I just made up a word but they act in contradiction of what I want. When I'm teaching at the gym, for example, and I think that the technique is simple and easy to grasp and the students just can't get it, and after even an hour, I just look at it and say, well, either they all are terrible or I just did a really bad job of explaining this technique, or maybe a little bit of both. Time to take a step back and rethink this. whatever it might be. If we choose to say it's good, it's because we've chosen to live in gratitude, even in the midst of struggle and suffering and affliction. I'm alive and I shouldn't be alive. My wife is alive and she shouldn't be alive. You're alive listening to this, but you don't deserve to be alive. You're not entitled to life. It's a gift. And someone along the way might have tried to take that away from you, the giftedness of your life. They may have tried to make you as twisted and deformed as they are. To crush your heart in such a way that you never recover from the fear and the fear becomes the soundtrack to your life and drowns out all of the other emotions. I was there for a long time. My wife was there for a long time. And we're still there. Like I said to my wife when her dad died, his foot is finally off your neck. But that doesn't change the feelings that you're experiencing. It's a release. It's a sense of closure that his foot is off your neck. That child that's still inside of you somewhere, far, far back in your subconscious, that still fears him coming in the night. He's gone now. He can't come in the middle of the night. But emotions are a powerful thing, especially the emotions of a child. And when they're scarred, and become permanent tracks across your mind. The trauma's always there. Somewhere. It might be buried deep, but it's always there. The memories are always there. Sometimes recovered, sometimes not. Sometimes a documentary. Other times a snapshot. Sometimes you'll find yourself twitching. And your jaw will flex and your fists will clench for no reason. You won't even realize in the moment Why? When moments are quiet, as Johnny talks about, that's when my memories kidnap me. That's when the abuse that happened to me as a child snaps back. Not necessarily in pictures, not necessarily a memory that's clear and complete. Sometimes it's just a feeling. Sometimes it's primal. It's beyond words and emotions and pictures. And there's sometimes when I don't stand up and confront it and acknowledge that what I have received is a gift. There's whole days. There was a whole day last week, a whole day. As friends asked me how I was doing, I said, good. I'm literally just trying to get back to bed and go to, you know, I'm just trying to make it to my bed tonight. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. And this is what my mind decided I was going to think about so that I couldn't go back to sleep. And here's how the day is going. Wave after wave after wave crashing against the beach. That is my heart and my mind. And so every hour that I tick off is another hour I'm grateful for sobriety. It's another hour I'm grateful to be alive. It's another hour that I'm grateful that I get to do what I do with the people that I do it with. But to be honest, even though things are good, I'm just trying to get back to the bed. I'm just trying to get through the day as best I can. And you know what? That's good because it means I'm still alive. And it means that tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to focus all of my attention on gratitude in the morning. And that's the first thing that I'm going to nail down. What am I grateful for today? And that's the interesting thing about abuse. When I see my children, I see opportunity. I see a reason to be joyful and to celebrate life. I see an opportunity to change the future because my wife and I chose to break that cycle of abuse and addiction and violence that deformed our family for generations, that we get to change the soundtrack so that fear isn't the only song. It's a single on the playlist for sure. Maybe it's two or three tracks, but there's other emotions there too. Joy. Anger. Hope. Depression. Wonder. Awe. Anxiety. Shame, both bad and good. But that they have a whole soundtrack. They have a whole palette of colors with which to paint. Whereas my wife and I had black and white. And so their life doesn't change angles like ours did. Their life isn't the crashing of waves against the beach, eroding the beach. Their life is a life of consistency and constancy, a life wrapped in trust and love, unconditional love. It's wrapped in craziness, sometimes insanity because both of their parents are crazy and insane. But yet, if you were to ask any of my children what do they think about their life? They'd all say the exact same thing, which is funny, actually. They'd say, It's good. It's good. I like it. It's something that my wife and I could never say in any honesty. We said it because it's what we were expected to say. We said it because if we said anything else, who was going to listen? Who was going to believe us if we complained? And so our life, our lives, were bomb sites. And then at a certain point, by the grace of God, we climbed out of the crater and we built a new life together. A life that we were proud to call life. A life that we looked at and said, this is a gift from God. A life that, like I said, even in the midst of affliction and struggles, despite all of the challenges that we face in our marriage, as parents, in the church, outside of the church, all the crazy shit that I've done the past 22 plus years to drive my my wife crazy (laughs) or to an early grave. My wife often jokes that the whole reason she became a nurse, she didn't know about this at the time, she was in nursing school, but the whole reason she became a nurse was just so that she could take care of me. (laughs) But we made a choice to do all that. We made a choice to not see ourselves as victims. We made a choice not to see ourselves as survivors anymore either. And as far as we're concerned, it's paying off every day. We have to decide to struggle and discipline ourselves to continue to grow and to learn to confront the darkness that mostly lies behind us now, but because we've confronted the darkness in ourselves and in others, specifically our parents and our families, it makes it that much easier for us to stand up for others, to show up for others and confront the darkness with others to encourage them and to say to them, you don't have to be afraid anymore. The darkness can't get you, and the monsters that roam in the darkness can't hurt you. So maybe your light's a little dim right now. Maybe you don't know how to turn it on. But here, let me shine my light into your darkness. I can't help you with this. I can't fix it for you. I can't give you the answers that you need so you know which way to go. All I can do is shine a light on the darkness and show you what's hiding out there. But at a certain point, you have to make up your own mind which way you're going to go and how you're going to get there. Having other people around to help you certainly helps muffle that angst, maybe even silence it altogether. But struggling with others, there's some good in that. There's strength in that. I think. There's encouragement there. And when you lack motivation, they're going to hold you accountable so that you remain disciplined. And to those who are narcissists who want to abuse us in the present tense, to those deformed creatures who are never at peace and hate to see us in a state that they're never able to attain, those who are emotionally crippled because of their own screams of agony and their own self-taunting consciousness. To those of you who are agitated and grind your teeth psychologically when you see others who are living with joy and satisfaction, who can say good and mean it, who still see the world as a wondrous place in spite of the cruelty and the evil that occurs every day. There's a reason we walked away from you. And there's a reason that we can't come back to where you're standing. Because we're not that person anymore. And we're not available to you anymore. You took your pound of flesh. You got your ounce of blood. But that bomb site where that explosion went off when I was a child, when my wife was a child, that's not our life anymore. That's not where we live. That's where you live. So enjoy it. Enjoy the fruit Of your labor. Enjoy the consequences of allowing fear to become the soundtrack for your life and how you tried to destroy a gift that was given to you by God. You twisted it, you perverted it, you used it as if it was your property and your possession to do with whatever you liked. To everybody who's ever been abused, Who's struggled with this reality? Who's had to live with the cruelty and the threats and the damage that was done to you by those that you're supposed to trust most? It's a simple reality. It's a simple truth. But like I said, it, it hurts and it cuts deep. They didn't abuse you, they didn't hurt you because of you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not garbage. You're not an accident. You're not something shameful. You're not something deformed and perverted. You're beautiful. You're a gift from God to all of us. But the people, the people who abused you, the people that hurt you and broke you, the people that attacked you, they're the monsters. They're the ones who should be ashamed, who need to be ashamed. They're the ones who opened the door and allowed the demons to pour out. They're the ones who turned off the lights and let the darkness overtake them. They're the ones who are crippled. They're the ones who hate. They're the ones who can never know peace and can never live in gratitude. And maybe you've been so indoctrinated, so beaten down and programmed that you see yourself as the source of that abuse and that violence. That somehow you deserve it. That's a lie. It's a lie because you've been vandalized. You've been vandalized by those who want to deface this beautiful creature that God brought into this world. They want you to live in that bomb site, shell shocked, always. They want you to struggle with PTSD, they want to gaslight you and make you question your own sanity and your own story. They want you to believe that it never happened, but you were there. You know, the truth and no matter what they say, no matter how they try to divert your attention away from the facts, even when they say it's a tragic thing that happened to you, but we have to move on. Don't look to them for peace. Don't look to them for closure. Don't look to them to give you the answers that you're seeking. Look at yourself. Look at yourself and recognize that you have a choice. You can live in gratitude. You don't need them to do that. You can enjoy peace today. Maybe it's a little peace, but it's still peace. You can do that. You can strive for that and enjoy that. That's your choice. You don't have to pay off their debt. You're not responsible for being sentenced for their guilt. You don't have to feel guilty about gratitude. You don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed of where you came from or what they did to you. They're incarcerated by their own rage, not you. Don't allow them to hold you in a prison that was built for them. You're allowed to relax. You're allowed to breathe and give thanks for your life today. You're allowed to put a a muzzle on your angst. You're free to turn around and confront the darkness and say, I'm walking my way out of here. You can pray that God would shine a light the truth on your feet so that you can walk out of that darkness if you feel like you're a captive to it, if you're enslaved by it. You don't have to be crippled. You're not crippled. Other people have told you that, but you're not. Get up. Walk. Walk your way out. Let them grind their teeth at you. Let them threaten you. Let them attack you and beat you on your way out the door. But remember, your presence is a gift. Your life is a gift from God. And so that ultimately, they don't hate you specifically. They hate themselves. They hate God. They hate God for having created them. They hate God for the cruelty that they've suffered. They hate God because of the abuse that they suffered as a child. And because they hate God They hate themselves. They don't see themselves as a gift. They can't live in gratitude. And therefore they don't see you as a gift from God. They just see you as a thing, unfortunately. But you're not. You're a creature of God. You're a child of God. You're beautiful. You're a work of art. And if you're here, it's because God wants you to be here, which means you have value. You have dignity because God made you. And it doesn't matter what anybody has to say. The reality of the situation is the simple reality is you exist. You're a creature of God. And therefore, you have value and you are worthy of love. God loved you enough to make you. And despite what your parents did to you or your friends or your high school boyfriend, or your college girlfriend, or your spouse, or your kids, or whoever it is. No. They don't get to put you in prison. They don't get to enslave you. They don't get to take their narcissism and their deformed heart and compel you to be their slave. You don't have to smell your own blood anymore. You just have to make the choice to walk your way out. And if you can't do it alone, ask somebody to shine a light on the darkness for you so you can find your way. Because you can enjoy peace. You can strive for gratitude. You can enjoy gratitude. You can push yourself past that line where people said, this is impossible for you. You'll never do this. You don't have to live that way. So today, let your gratitude push through your fears. Take strength that there's others out here who've been where you've been, who've gone through what you've gone through. We came out the other side and we're still struggling. We're still working. We're still fighting every day to live in that gratitude because it's like weeds in a garden, man. You think just because you pull weeds one time, you come back in a month, there's not going to be weeds in your garden. You come back in a month, that's all that's going to be in your garden are weeds. You got to take care of that garden every day. You got to weed your garden every day. Otherwise, there will be no harvest, except for weeds. Same thing goes for your life, your mind, your body, your emotions. Every day, you got to make up your mind. Got to pull the weeds out of my garden. That's what I got to do every day. If I want to live in gratitude, if I want to strive for peace, of mind, peace in my own heart, if I want to put a muzzle on angst, I got to pay attention. Got to make sure that those weeds don't creep up on me. Choke out all these fruits and vegetables. (laughs) Put on a different soundtrack. Listen to different music. Let the people who want to listen to fear and live in fear do it. But you don't have to be a part of that. You don't have to give in to fear. Let your fear push you to gratitude and let your gratitude then push you through all your fears. All right, that's all I got today. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Peace.